Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Do you own a study Bible? If so, you owe a little bit of gratitude to Mr. Cyrus Ingerson Schofield, C.I. Schofield. In 1909, he published the Schofield Reference Bible. It became extremely popular, and, and here was the format. You had the biblical text, and then he also had what he called helps, and these were like comments about the verses, and it helped explain them. And then it also had some cross-references, and this would help the reader trace different word uses throughout the Bible or or even themes. It would help them trace them throughout Scripture. So this paved the way for many study Bibles that we have today. I you know just a random uh, count in my head. I have maybe I don't know eight or nine different study Bibles, and so uh, C. I. Schofield was largely largely responsible for. Uh, this type of Bible being produced. So it was originally produced in 1909. Schofield revised himself the, the reference Bible in 1917. And then now there is a new Schofield reference Bible, and that was published in 1967. So uh, this this Bible was very popular, and it taught two basic ideas. Now, now, I mean, it taught a lot of stuff, but there are two basic ideas that are really prominent today that came from the Schofield Reference Bible as a result of its popularity, okay? So one of them was dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is a a, a method, of, kind of like a lens for which you view the Bible and how you interpret things. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with eschatology and the end times. And so the Schofield Reference Bible taught things like the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, this was not like a, this is not like a new thing. I'm just saying that the Schofield Reference Bible is, uh, it had it in those study notes. And so this, the, the ideas, the ways of sort of interpreting the Bible became very popular because of this reference Bible. So with dispensationalism, you have God's restoration of a national, literal Israel. Um, this is the the idea of uh, the millenn- uh, pre-millennialism, where there's going to be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ from Jerusalem. And so uh, this is the probably the majority view of American Christians today. Also, the Schofield Reference Bible taught the gap theory, or it's sometimes called the ruin reconstruction theory or ruin recreation theory. So that'll be our topic today, and I will be referring to it as the gap theory, but just know that it has a few different names. Now, if you have questions, you can always email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can message me on Instagram at therealbearmartin or on Twitter, Bear for Christos. And so today's segment of A Bear in the Woods, this is just where I just share random thoughts that I've had throughout the week. Um, I was I was purchasing some stuff on eBay or, or looking to purchase some stuff on eBay. Use, uh, most of my purchases are with Amazon and we have Amazon Prime and you get it in, you know, free shipping two days. I, for me, and I think this is a problem for a lot of people, I have a mental block when it comes to paying for shipping. So a company could charge me double the shipping rate, but just instead of saying shipping, you know, $10, the company could probably add like 
$20 to the price of the item and say free shipping. And I would probably think that's better. <laughs> For some reason in my brain, when I see free shipping, I just think I am getting a, I am just getting a, a deal here. And so when, when I see shipping charges, it's like a mental block. It, it, it actually makes me reconsider the purchase um, more than it probably should. Anyway, imagine, and then I got thinking about this, and, and imagine like back in the olden days when you wanted to purchase something, you, you had to like, I guess you, you got your money together and you put it in an envelope and you sent a letter out, you know, to the store, you know, states away, or the, like the Pony Express carried your letter, or maybe it goes across, you know, overseas and you're trying to buy something. And so I just imagine you're wondering the whole time, you know, did they even get it or or, you know, was my letters and money stolen? You know, was it shipwrecked? I, who knows what happens? So for months, you're waiting to, to get your, you know, package, the thing that you want. And then you, you know, see the mailman and he never has anything for you. And then one day he's, he's digging around in his, you know, in his wagon and you think he's going to come out with something. And, and instead of a big box of whatever you wanted, he gives you a letter and you open it and it just says out of stock, you know, or something like that. So, you know, we have it, we are so fortunate that most of the time we get our packages within just a few days right at our front door. It's just it's just crazy how, how good we've got it in, uh, in this respect. Anyway, just something to think about. Okay, one of the biggest disagreements between modern unbelieving scientists and Bible-believing Christians is the date of the earth. That's one of the biggest arguments. All right, so there's two basic categories, and, and some Christians are old earthers as well. So there's two basic categories, old earther, young earther, okay? So if you are if you believe in an old earth, uh, this idea was, was not really talked about a whole lot until pro- maybe the last 200 years. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, people throughout history who have thought differently, but really gained some traction and popularity over the last 200 years or so. So as I was reading up, it seemed initially the number that I saw was that as people started to question, you know, looking at geology and the the age of the earth, it was proposed, you know, around 75 to 100,000 years old and then over time maybe a, a few million years old. The current scientific consensus, so to speak, of the age of the earth is 4.5 billion years, okay? And then the age of the universe would be around 13.7, 13.8 billion years. So that that would be an old earther. If if you believe in a young earth, that's what I believe. I believe the earth is around 6 to 10,000 years old. So there's old earthers and young earthers. So as as um, science was advancing and uh, you know geological discoveries and they're looking at all the rock layers and fossil records stuff like that, then some Christians were troubled by the science community saying that the earth was much older than what the Bible presented. And so how do we reconcile the two? Dun, da, 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 the gap theory. All right, so let me fill in the gap for you. So the gap theory is based on this. There's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. So let me read those verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the gap theory says that there is a gap of an, an unknown amount of time between those two verses, that Genesis 1-1 is talking about an initial 
creation, uh, a, a, a full heaven and earth. There were humans. It's called, it, it's a, called a pre-Adamic race, a, a race before Adam and Eve. Okay. So there was, there were humans, uh, you know, much like the earth we have today, except it was, it was perfect. And Satan sinned or Lucifer. He was the prince of this earth, realm, whatever. And so he sins, he rebels against God. And then as a result of that rebellion, God punishes uh, the the earth, the heavens and the earth. And so they waste away and they become formless and void. Okay. And so that's, that's leaves us and, and millions of years pass. We don't know exactly how long, but that leaves us with the conditions that are presented then in Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay? So those are the conditions. And then the gap theory, or the ruin recreation, ruin restoration theory, is that God then recreates from this formless and void, you know, uh, heavens and earth that were there. Okay? So that's the gap theory. So then, and then it continues on with the days of creation and, and all of that stuff. So that would explain why the earth is so old, yet the Bible, when we just you know look at the chronology of the Bible, it seems like the earth is much younger. So that's a way that people were trying to marry modern science and biblical teaching, okay? So a, a few a few problems there. Uh, first off is a theological problem. If at, you know, sin, the Bible teaches that sin and judgment came to the, the world through Adam, okay? Romans 5 says sin came into the world through one man. That's talking about Adam. Uh, the gap theory tries to explain the fossil record and all these layers of the earth you know, for millions of years. But if sin and death came in Adam then why do we have evidence of massive death in the fossil record before Adam? So human fossils, things like that. So it's still, the gap theory does does nothing for a Christian who's trying to be credible in the modern scientific community. So modern scientists, if if you hold to the gap theory as a Christian, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, great. That's, that's a, you know, that makes a lot of sense. They're still going to disagree with you on a lot of things. And, and honestly, I disagree theologically. Sin came into the world through Adam. So we know that there was a, a fall of Satan. Somehow the Bible is, there's definitely some passages that people have used to try to explain how Satan fell. Um, and, but there's lots of different interpretations on that. But the Bible is very clear that sin entered the world through Adam, okay? And that's why we live in a fallen world. And there's thorns and thistles and pain in childbirth and, and all of those things. It is because of the sin of Adam, okay? Now, here's the great thing. Romans 5.17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so it, there's there's basically two options. You can either remain in Adam and you are in your sin. Or you can be in Christ Jesus, and you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, Romans 5 calls Jesus the second Adam. Jesus is the better Adam. And so 
we we inherited sin, a sin nature from Adam, but Jesus Christ, just as as sin entered the world through one man, we can have righteousness through the perfection of the one man, Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about this later on in a few episodes, but if you believe in a literal Jesus for your salvation, and you better because that is there is only salvation in him, then you also, the Bible calls you to also believe in a literal Adam and Eve. So more on that in a, in a later episode. Anyway, so I have a theological disagreement with the gap theory. Now, um, with this idea of judgment, why, why is judgment implied? When the Bible says the earth was formless and void, why do gap theorists say, oh, this is because of judgment of possibly Lucifer's rebellion against God? Why, why do they think that that is judgment? Well, decreation language is very common in the Bible for judgment. So let me give you an example. Jeremiah 4.23 says, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void and to the heavens and they had no light. He's talking about the the judgment of Israel. Uh, So decreation language is very popular in scripture when talking about judgment. You have the sun darkening, stars falling from the sky in passages like Matthew 24 and Revelation. And the context there is judgment language. So gap theorists will say the initial heaven and earth was a good creation. It was, and and so it was not formed empty and void. It was a perfect formation that then because of judgment became empty and void and darkness hovered, you know, covered the face of the earth. And then, you know, God has to then recreate that and restore it. One verse that gap theorists will use is Isaiah 45, 18. And it says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. That's the same word for uh, without form or void. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So that's an, an argument, that gap, a verse that gap theorists will try to use to say this idea of in Genesis 1-2 that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface. It, it's, it implies that there's judgment, that something has gone wrong. That's what they're, they're trying to argue. Now, I agree with them that decreation language is, um, in, is common in the Bible for God's judgment. You have Noah's flood. Um, Israel is decimated by foreign armies because of Israel's disobedience to God. Um, so these all point back, though, to the initial creation story, that they use these, these, two, these Hebrew words for without form and void. They're pointing back to initial creation. However, this is this is my big point here. This does not mean that Genesis one two was be, was also because of judgment. So just because decreation language is used later on in the Bible as a as a way of showing God's judgment, it does not mean that initial creation or the creation in Genesis one two was also because of judgment. So let me give you an example. Let's say there's a guy and he graduates high school and the very next day, right after graduating high school, we're going to kind of look at his status in life, okay? He's broke and he's living with his parents, all right? But, you know, hey, he's in high school he or he just graduated from high school. Most recent graduates from high school are broke and they're living with their parents, okay? Now, same guy, 
Fast forward a few years, he wins the lottery. So he's got millions of dollars, but he starts gambling in a way, you know, he's in a drunken stupor all the time and he's just losing, making horrible decisions and he's losing all this money. And eventually he's broke and he's living with his parents. Okay. Now the, the status of him being broke and living with his parents it does not mean that he the only way he could get there is because of horrible decisions okay so just when he when he graduates high school and he's broken living with his parents it's not like he's made terrible decisions and that's why he's there and it is is a, a sort of a not punishment um i love you mom and dad okay <laughs> but um but after you win the lottery if you lose all that money and you're broke and back living with your parents it's because of some bad decisions but but the status of broke and living with your parents does not always mean you made poor decisions in life. Okay, so what I'm saying is that Genesis 1-2 is talking about the status of the earth at that time, but it does not have to mean that there was some sort of judgment just because other verses in the Bible point back to that and say, you know, this is this is judgment. All right, I hope that example came across clear. Uh, just a side note, rebellious man is always in a state of decreating what God has created. So God created them male and female, and, and rebellious mankind says there is no gender. God created marriage to be between one man and one woman, uh, and yet rebellious mankind says anybody can marry anybody. And God created man and woman to be fruitful and to multiply, and rebellious mankind says if children are inconvenient, just get an abortion. So so in our sin, we decreate create. We go against God's good creation. Now, in response to the, the verse I shared in Isaiah 45, 18, the main part of that verse, it says, he did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. And that's a verse gap theorists will, will use to try to support their claim. The New Bible Commentary, its main editor is D.A. Carson. It, it points out the, the language here, it formed it to be inhabited. So it says he he formed it he formed the heavens and the the earth to be inhabited. And so what it's saying there what this verse is getting at is that God formed earth with a purpose and also he formed the nation of Israel with a purpose. See in Isaiah 45 this is this is actually an encouragement passage to the nation of Israel. At this time their land is is a wasteland. It's desolated. They, they, the Assyrians and the Babylonian army have come in and wiped it out. And so it, this is an encouragement here that God will restore Israel and God has a purpose for the nation of Israel. And so that's, that's what it's talking about here when it relates back to creation. God formed it not to stay void and and formless. He formed that with a purpose. And and that's what we see. That's how I interpret Genesis 1-1 as it relates to Genesis 1-2. I see Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth as a general statement. And then the verses that follow, starting in verse 2, is, is more of the specifics of how he created. And so he creates this uh, formless and void universe, and then he's going to separate and fill. And so we'll talk about that more as we talk about the the days of creation. But God made it that way with a purpose. It it it's um we don't have to see that Genesis 1-2 as being as a result of some kind of judgment. And and then lastly, I would say the the main weakness with the gap theory 
is that it is anytime you are trying to make the Bible fit in with what modern science says is is a dangerous ground. Okay, I'm not saying that that science is always wrong. I, I mean, I'm a doctor. I you know I have to rely on scientific data to make informed decisions. However, scientists have been wrong before, and so. So when they say the earth is, you know, however old, well, they've said that it was different ages in the past as well. Scientists have said that. And so, you know, my all my trust, my ultimate authority is not on science. And so I'm trying to look at the Bible and see what the Bible teaches. If science aligns with it, great. If science does align uh, does not align with what the Bible teaches, then I go with the Bible. That it, it is my ultimate authority because I believe that the the world we live in, God created. So if God created that world and the laws that govern scientific experiments, I've talked about this in previous episodes, then when God speaks, when he gives me his word, the Bible to read, then then I'm going to trust that. I can't do science without God. And so, so, I, so I've got to go to what God says first. And that brings us to a closing verse here. This phrase stuck out to me as I was thinking about this, um, this gap theory and my response to that and why I believe what I believe. And it's Romans 3, 3 and 4. It says, what if some were unfaithful? This is Paul asking the question about the Jews. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, and then this is the phrase that was sticking out to me, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So no matter what the situation is, let God, let God's word be true. No matter what other people are saying, let God's word always be true in your heart. So let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written. So why should you let God be true, though everyone else though you have you'd have to consider everyone else a liar because this right here that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged <laughs>